president of a large company who said one time I'd leave except for two things. One, I'm afraid they wouldn't get along without me. The other is I'm afraid they'd get along fine without me. And so just a few weeks ago, uh, we started a series uh, of walking through the Old Testament. And if I can, I want to kind of frame it, at least from my own perspective, to tell you what I hear. Uh, Matt introduced us by talking about uh, movies at the very beginning, uh, none of which I have seen or even heard of. (laughs) I sat in the back while Matt was talking. I was thinking to myself, man, I must be old and uncool. I don't know a single thing he's talking about with all these movies. And so uh, just uh, uh, about six weeks ago, uh, Lori and I went out to see the new Avengers movie, The Infinity War. I'd been hanging around some 20-somethings and they were all talking about it. Have you seen the movie? Have you seen the movie? And I finally went home and said, honey, we are old and uncool. We have to go see a young, cool movie. And so... We went out, and I got a bag of popcorn and sat in the movie theater, and the thing started. It's a three-hour movie, you guys. And we're about an hour into this thing, and, and, uh, man, alive, I couldn't make sense out of anything that was happening in this thing. I came to see a fight, and what I saw was a bunch of talking. And the people in the audience, they were oohing and on, and they were predicting and making statements back to one another. They were groaning halfway through the movie, and I started thinking, man, I am not tracking at all. Maybe my blood sugar's low. So I started shoving popcorn in my mouth. And after that whole barrel of popcorn was gone, it's an hour later. And I still can't make sense of this thing. But I didn't want to say anything to my wife because I was afraid she'd look at me and think, you hang around 20-somethings and you don't get this. So I didn't say anything. And she sat there not saying anything. She must have been thinking, you're around a bunch of 20-somethings and I'm not going to look like I don't get this. We finally got in the car and or sat there for a few minutes, didn't back away. And usually we say, what do you think of the movie? And no one said a word. <laughs> finally, I said, man, that popcorn was good. <laughs> when you go to a three-hour movie and you're talking about the popcorn, that's not a good night. I said, you want to go get something to eat? She said, yeah. There was a pause. She said, maybe I'll understand that. (laughs) I said, you too? I thought my blood sugar was low. She said, man, I didn't understand a word of that thing. I backed away. I looked at her and said, honey, we are old and uncool. Well, the next day I learned out this is not true. Well, I am old, but not uncool. I found out by talking to somebody that this is actually part of an ongoing saga. (laughs) This is not a movie. This is an epic story with a bunch of movies. And millions of people who've seen them all. There's like 18 movies. I'm not making this up. And some of you people are watching all 18 movies. And you're talking to one another about what's going to happen next. And that's why they were groaning and predicting and talking out loud. Because they'd seen all 17, 18 movies. And they were going to this movie to see how it was going to play out. I just wanted to see a fight. 
discovered the next day I had not only missed most of the previous movies, I didn't know the plot. See, some of you come every Sunday and we drop you into the middle of a story in the Gospels, say. And like me, you can watch Jesus move around and you get all wrapped up in what Jesus or Paul is doing. And you can hear people in the congregation kind of groaning. You look over and they're nodding, they're following. And you're sitting there thinking, man, my blood sugar must be low. I am not tracking this whole thing right now. That does not seem like too important of a thought to me. It's because you ain't seen all the movies and you don't know the plot. Some of you have been to Sunday school since you were children. How many? You see your hands. Back when they had Sunday school. Perfect. And what they did was they taught you the movies but they never taught you the plot. So you can tell stories about Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Jacob and you can talk about Moses and the prophets. Those are all movies. But they never taught you the plot. Some of you are like religion people. Uh, uh, and um, I've been in some religion classes, a couple. <laughs> and, and they started out by teaching me the plot but they never taught me the movies. So I have no appreciation for the stories. I'm just interested in the big themes. So what we're trying to do in this series, I'm saying, is we're trying to show you some of the big movies in the Old Testament. And then we're trying to connect them to the plot. Are you with me? So we've chosen nine movies, and we've connected them to a plot, How God Saves the World. There it is. And we've centered these around four questions that you can ask yourself anytime you pick up an Old Testament story and read it. It doesn't have to be one we're talking about. The questions we're asking ourselves, you can also ask on your own, here they are. What did God intend in the very beginning? What did he want? Number two, what went wrong? Where did this whole thing go off the rails? Number three, what did God do to fix it? Where do you see God at work in this story? Jesus said, I'm always working and my father's working too. So where do you see him? And number four, how does that get us back on track? Or how does it redeem what God intended in the first place? Are you still with me? So, we started with Adam and Eve. God created the world the way he wanted it. 
And then he lost it again. And when he lost it, things went terribly off the rails. One chapter after God creates the world, Cain, the first one born to Adam and Eve, kills his brother. Then Cain has a child named Lamech who kills a man because he wounded him. He said, a guy wounded me, so I just killed him. It's in Genesis chapter 4. Things have gotten so crazy by Genesis chapter 6 that God begins to regret ever having made us. Think about that. God creates us and he steps back and says, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. It's so wrong. In fact, Genesis 6 says, every inclination of the thought of the heart of every person was evil all the time. So God found a man in his family, Noah. That's the second movie. You watched it or heard it last week. He tells Noah to build an ark and get all of his family on it. And then he sends a flood and wipes everything in the earth out. And then when the flood is over, God releases that little family that's going to fix the world and tells them to get busy starting over. And it worked perfectly until it didn't. For what we discover after Noah leaves the ark is that what's wrong with the world is not the world. It's the people in it. This is not like a cloud that hangs over the, all the earth that you can kind of come down with a big answer. Let's just get people on a boat, wipe out the rest, and then we'll start over. It's a great plan until it doesn't work. For evil, we discover, is not a cloud. It's a virus. Even Noah's family has it. So when they walk off of that boat, they take that virus with them and everyone who comes after them carries the virus and it doesn't fix the world because that's the world that needs fixing. Oh man, I wish we could get this through our head. The solution to a universal problem is not a universal answer. It's a family. You don't fix evil by flooding it or drowning it. You don't fix evil by declaring war against it. You don't fix evil by negotiating with it. You can't fix it with a huge program. You got to have a family. You got to start there. That leads us to the third movie, which is today. You still with me? Oh, good. 
God finds another man and his family. The guy's 75 years old when the Lord comes to him and says, I'm going to make you great. I want you to get up and leave your country and go to a place. Well, I'll tell you later. <laughs> Try doing that on vacation. Get the kids in the car. Where are we going, Dad? Well, I don't really know. Are we there yet? Maybe. This is how he lives for the first couple years. Dude travels almost 900 miles on foot with his wife and his little entourage, this tribe, this clan that are associated with Abraham. And they wander into a land called Canaan 900 miles later. It's like going from Marion to Dallas on foot about that you finally get there and Abram looks around and the Lord comes back to him and says I'm going to give you some offspring <laughs> so Abram builds an altar he just makes an altar and there he talks to his God an altar is a thin rail between heaven and earth. It's a place on this secular planet where the earth is open and the heavens can come down and a man and his God can talk to each other at an altar like no other place. That's when it occurs to you that the story is shifted. The plot has changed. The way that God is going to save the world is not by putting people on a boat and drowning the rest. He's going to save the world by finding somebody thoroughly embedded in it. And he's going to raise him up. Oh, I wish we could get this through our head. That man and his family will save the world not by crushing all evil, but by building altar. Noah will build an ark. Abraham will build an altar. And that is a fundamentally different way to think about how the world is saved. Oh, I wish I could get this through our heads. The solution to this world is not anywhere near as heroic as the problem is vast. Noah is conspicuous. You know who that guy is. He's the guy on the boat while you're drowning. Abraham is inconspicuous. He's one of millions, buried somewhere inside the Chaldean tribe. You'd never find him. Truly forgettable. Turns out this is how the movie goes. God will make a series of promises to Abraham. Every promise that he makes is the same promise, but it's more specific 
and it's more intense. And every time God makes the promise to Abraham, Abraham builds an altar. So while Noah built one, Abraham built five in four different locations. That's the pattern of the third movie. God will speak, Abraham will listen, and then he'll build an altar. Takes him out over and looks in top of the mountains, and he says to Abraham, look to the north, south, east, west. You see this land? As far as you can look, I'm going to give this to your offspring. <laughs> Abraham's like, man, I'm almost 80. The Lord says, yeah, that's right. I'm going to give this to your offspring. Abraham says, well, all right then. And he builds an altar, and he commemorates the promise. About 10 years later, Abraham's now 85 years old. He still doesn't have a child. This has ever happened to you? You thought you heard God say something? And then 10 years goes by and nothing happens? And you start thinking to yourself, did I hear him right? Did I miss something? Was that me talking and not him? So Abraham starts to complain. He says, Lord, you're talking about <laughs> giving me all this offspring. I don't even have a single child. Lord says, there will come a son from your own body. You hear it? It's the same promise, but it's more specific. What does Abraham do? He makes an altar cuts up the animals, and the Lord walks right down the center of those parts, and he swears by his own name. Lord basically says, if I don't do what I said I'd do, I don't exist like you think I exist. That's how much I'm into this. Abraham believes again. About another 10 years goes by and still no child. That ever happened to you? So Abraham thinks to himself, I got to fix this. I think when the Lord said, I'm going to give you a son, I think what he meant was, you better have a son. So he turns a promise into a law. That ever happened to you? He marries a second wife. She gets pregnant immediately. But his first wife is old and barren. Lord comes back again and says, I'm going to give you a son. Abram said, I have one. Lord says, not that one. I'm going to give you one from your older wife. Abram said, Lord, she's now like 85. What does Abram do? He worships his God another time. Well, some of you have seen this movie. How many have seen the movie? May I see your hand a minute? I mean, heard the story by the way. There they go. Yeah. 
few years later, Sarah, Abram's first wife, she comes to Abram one day and goes, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I think I'm pregnant. Now, I want to single you out, but there might be a few women in the congregation right now who are 90 years old. I won't have you raise your hand. Can you imagine? Can you imagine getting pregnant? And when she gets pregnant, she laughs. You know why she laughs? Because it means God has fulfilled his promise. It means God has done exactly what he said he would do. This is no mere child. This is my miracle. This is my gift from God. This is exactly what he said he would do for me. And he did it. This is my legacy. As goes Isaac, whose name means laughter, so goes my legacy. I can finally see the future from here. God has done the impossible. Now the future has opened up. 12, 15 years later, Lord comes back to Abram one last time. Abram will hear the word of the Lord and he will build what is his last altar. Lord comes to him and says, Wait for the language. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Yitzhak, Isaac. Take laughter. Take your joy. Take the promise, boy. Take your legacy, your future your happy life and go up to a mountain and I want you to put him on an altar and I want you to kill him. Sacrifice him. What is more shocking to me than this visceral, violent, shocking word from God is the fact that Abram never blinks. Next morning, he gets up, loads up the donkey, finds some wood, starts going up the mountainside. And when he sees the place in a distance, Genesis 22 said, he built an altar. Where's the... Where's the lamb, says Isaac. God says, or Abraham says, well, well, the Lord will provide. That's all we know. When he gets up there, he binds Isaac and he lays his promise on the altar. And he reaches for the knife. How many of you said you've heard this story before? May I see your hand one more time? Then we wrecked it for you guys. 
We wrecked it for you guys. Because you've heard the story, you think you know how it ends. But before I get to the ending, can I get you to stay for a moment in this scene? God has taken someone who is now almost 100 years old. He is asking him to take a promise. He's waited a quarter of a century to get here. And he's asking him to lay it on an altar and to kill it in the form of a burnt offering. Burnt offerings are the only offerings in the Bible where the, where the sacrifice is consumed completely. In a burnt offering, read it in Leviticus 6 or 7, you light the fire and you keep the fire going all night until there's nothing but ashes. Then you change your clothes, pick up the ashes, go outside the camp and bury them. Game over. May I point a couple of things out? The gravity of this moment. Quickly. One, God is not asking you to sacrifice whatever you want. He is asking you to sacrifice what you love more than anything else. This is not the way you were accustomed to give God anything. You always start by saying, what do I need to live on? What do I need to cause my future to happen? Now, what can I afford to give God? Now, this isn't that. You don't budget your only son whom you love. Laughter. Two, you will have to lay it down. God will not take it from you. You don't have to like it. You don't have to walk out and feel good about it. But in that moment when God comes to you and says, it's the thing you want the most. It is your most valuable possession. Let me put it in the form of a question for you. What is it that you fear more than anything else that you will lose? Such that if you lose it, you just as soon not be alive anymore. For some of you, that is your children. You were sure God gave them to you. For some, it's your family. Your family. For some, it's your future. It's, it's, it's the way you see yourself retiring. It's what you're going to feel like. It's all the good that you're going to do. It's you in the middle of this big group of kids that have come around with grandkids. and grand It's that. It's that picture. For some of you, it's your body of work. You've worked 30, 40 years. People know who you are right now. Something happens to that reputation. You might as well just go away. What I want you to see is that that is the thing that God is telling Abraham to lay on the altar. You don't love anything more than he loved Isaac. 
and you will have to lay it down. You don't have to like it, but you will have to lay it down. And there's one more thing. This is the only time that Abraham builds an altar without a promise. See, if you've heard this story before, you've jumped right ahead to the end of the story. Oh, I know how this ends. He gets them back. Everything works out just fine. See, that's wrecked the story. Abraham doesn't know any of this. He builds an altar, and the only thing he knows is when that boy is dead, so is my future. And he walks away. Game over. Would you bow your heads for a moment? This service is not over. Almost, but not quite. Can you find your Isaac? Do you know what it is? I lose that. And it doesn't matter anymore. Nothing matters if I lose that. And can I challenge you this morning? Dare you? Either just stand where you're at and by standing you say, I'm going to lay him down. This is not mine. Man, I want him more than anything. But he does not belong to me. This is not mine. Dare you trust God with this? Take a moment. Have you found it? Think again. Lord, if I lose this, I lose everything. Health, possessions, friends, name, people, I lose it. If you dare, if you would lay it down, I'm going to ask you to either stand where you're at. Some of you just may want to get up and come and touch the altar. I don't know. That's up to you. We're not quite almost done. But this is a critical point in the service. This movie doesn't mean as much if you can't find your Isaac. I'll wait as you listen to God.
we hesitated breaking the service like this because usually when this happens, people feel land and they want to, to go. You have to let me finish the story in five to four minutes. When our kids were born, we dedicated them on a platform like this one. It's like putting them on an altar and walking away. Trouble is, I came back to get them when the service was over. And so have some of you. The problem with laying something on the altar is that we can't leave it there. So we'd go into the rooms at night while they were asleep and pray over them. And the next morning, we'd take them back again. They'd go off to school, we'd pray again, take them back again. Off to college, pray again, take them back again. This went on and on and on and on until I read the last part of the story. Story ends. Isaac lives. Abraham's reaching for the knife. Here's the Lord say, Abraham, Abraham, in that thick accent of absent. It's beautiful voice. It says, don't touch the lad. Don't lay a hand on him. Now I know that you fear God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless and favor you for what you did. I'm going to take the thing that you sacrificed, Isaac, and I'm going to multiply him and spread him all over that land I told you about. I'm going to send Isaac into cities and countries you've never heard of. And through that boy, I will bless the rest of the world. Isaac lives, but Abraham dies. Abraham dies. What dies that day is Abraham's possession of his boy. He will no longer go back and say he belongs to me. God has consigned him over to me. Exactly what I did with my kids or what you'll be tempted to do with what you just laid down. Abraham just walks away and says, I still got to raise him, but he isn't my responsibility. The Lord will provide. Boy, the thought occurred to me. Could you imagine living in the freedom of God provides. You got a decision that you got to make tomorrow and you just laid that thing down. But when the morning gets here, you're going to pick it up again and say, we got to make this happen. You got an organization that's starting to level off and the competition's catching up and you've laid that on the altar because you think God will bless it and give it back to me. So I got to pick it up tomorrow and I got to make happen what I thought God wants to happen. Could you imagine living every day of your life in the freedom that God provides? 
He gives me what I need. He gives me what he wants me to have. I am not responsible for my own success. God provides. Oh, there is freedom in this. You've consigned it over to other people, yet you want to take it back again. And if you do, it remains your little possession. But if you can let it go, you are finally out of the way and what you used to own, God will own. And now he will favor you and he will multiply it and he will send it forward into places that you can't go and he will use it to bless the world. But it will be what God does through it, not through you. He will no longer use you to use others to fix the world. He'll just go use others. <laughs> man, when he said he'd make me great, I never thought that man disappeared. Oh, I thought I was in control. This is what God is saying to you this morning. You've laid him down, now let him go. Walk away, consign over to God the responsibility to make everything happen that he has promised you. If you stood a moment ago and you said, oh Lord, I give this to you. I am scared. You're gonna wreck it. But it's yours. And if you can stand again, like you stood a moment ago, will you do it? Will you do it right now? I want to read a prayer to you from Psalm. Isaiah, rather. Here is God's word for his people as we go out today. We have a strong city, church. God makes salvation the walls. So open the gates that the righteous may enter, people that keep the faith. Now this is us talking to God. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on you because they trust in you. So we trust in you, Lord, forever. For you, Lord, you alone are the rock eternal. You, Lord, are the one in whose ways we walk. We wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desires of our heart. Oh, Lord, establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Oh, Lord, our God, other lords beside you have once ruled over us, but today your name alone is the one that we honor for our salvation and our honor depend on you. For you are my rock, my defense, my refuge. I trust in you at all times. Let the people of God say, Amen.